0: Did you catch that in our scripture reading? At your right hand, there is fullness of joy, joy. That joy, what we're going to call real joy this morning, is what we're talking about. We're going to be in Acts the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. Um, We're going to be in chapter 16. You can find that on page 924 or 925 in the Bibles in front of you. Or just turn there. Uh, I'd love for you to have me, uh, to have you join me in this because this Bible, this is God's word for us. And so join me in it this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. Lord, would you protect and help us as we hear your word? Would you protect us from distraction or unhelpful thoughts? And would you lead us and give us life as we spend time here this morning? Help me as I preach. Help these people, my church family, to know you and to remember what you want them to remember. In Jesus' name, amen. Real joy is here for you this morning. I wonder what you think about that statement. You might think, really? That scripture reading said that real joy is at the right hand of God in heaven. And heaven is not here. And, okay, yes, you would be right about that. This is not heaven. But in today's story, we are going to be shadowing a group of people who have been given a message from heaven. And that message makes it possible for people here on earth, including you and me, to access that joy. Or maybe you're like, Matt, this idea of real joy and joy in heaven, that's that's a nice idea, but could you get a little more concrete than that? Could you flesh that out a little bit? We need to see this in action. Well, this story is for you. Or, or maybe you're saying something more difficult this morning. Maybe you're saying, Matt, I know that followers of Jesus are supposed to be joyful. I know that that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be joyful because of God. But, but most of the time, it seems like I'm locked out of that real joy, where you sing, but it doesn't always come from the heart, or where you pray, but you don't experience that connection. It's kind of like when you see people jamming out, musicians, you know, and you wish that you could just pick up a guitar and join them somehow. The music is moving your heart, but you don't know how to play, and you feel locked out Of that joy. Isn't that what it's sometimes like for us as Christians? Even even people come into church on a Sunday morning, maybe this is you, where you look around and think, there's a real joy here that the Bible's talking about. And maybe you've even experienced that joy in the past, but why, why don't I experience it now? Uh, Listen, if that's you this morning, I really think that you're the main audience for our passage today. More than anyone else, this is for you. And Real Joy is here this morning. And this story is going to show us how. So let's get to it. Um, We're going to shadow this traveling team of missionaries. Paul and Silas are the names of the leaders on the team. They've picked up a younger guy named Timothy. He's joining them. And then the guy who actually wrote today's story, Luke, he's a part of this team and he's witnessing this firsthand. Now I said they had a message from heaven. What is it? Well, it's called the gospel, the good news. It's the announcement that God himself sent his own son to become fully human, suffer, die, rise, and reign in heaven so that anyone on earth who believes in him, who turns from their sin, who repents and follows him, that they can be forgiven. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The announcement that God himself sent his son into the world, fully human, to suffer, die, rise, and reign so that anyone who repents and turns to him can be forgiven. In another story, Luke, this same Luke, he recorded A shorter phrase for the gospel. He said, it's good news of great joy that will be for all people. So where are these guys, this missionary team? Well, God has been clearly directing their steps to a city in Greece called Philippi. It was one of the main Roman cities, but up till three days ago, they've been traveling through what's modern-day Turkey. And The Spirit of God has been directing them northwest, northwest, northwest until they're right on the northwest edge of that peninsula where Turkey sticks out into the Mediterranean Sea. And then something amazing happens. Paul gets a vision at nighttime and there's a man from this region of Greece who says, come over here and help us. And so they immediately conclude, well, The only thing we have to help them with is the good news. And so they make way across the sea to join them, to go where God has called them to, into this new area. And so they're taking the good news there for the first time, and now three days later, they're here. But who does God have for them to help? Well, we're going to find out, and as we do, we're going to get to watch The people that they help experience real joy. Four questions about real joy as we hear this story. How do you find it? How do you miss it? How is it surprising? And then a question from me to you. Do you realize what this means? Okay, first question. How do you find it? We're going to start in verse 13. The first person that we meet is a woman named Lydia, and she's at the doorstep of real joy, but there's no clear assurance that the door is really open for her. Verse 13 We, that's this group of missionaries, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Lydia's at the doorstep of real joy because here she is, a worshiper of the one true God, the God of Israel, and she's in a city surrounded by people who worship the gods of Rome and Greece. So Zeus sends his lightning bolt, but this God, Lydia has come to realize, shows up in a burning bush, and speaks to Moses. Cupid, he shoots his arrows to mess in human love affairs. This God says, I myself will enter into a love relationship with people. Those gods live on Mount Olympus, unreachable by almost everybody. Maybe except Hercules, okay. But this God, he makes himself reachable to all his people. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He makes it so that people can access that. And Lydia, she's become a worshiper of him. She's heard about him and seen that he's different, that he is worthy. But is the door to his presence, is it really open to her? You know, there are hints in the Hebrew Bible that foreigners, non-Jewish people, can be part of God's people. But it's also clear that God's people have to access him through the ministry that happens at the temple in Jerusalem. You want to enter God's presence where there's fullness of joy? You have to do it his way. And that's because he's holy. So Lydia has to ask herself, does what I'm doing here at the river, does it really count? Now the word holy can be used to talk about a person's morals, whether they're being holy or acting holy. But in the Bible, that's actually a secondary definition. There's a primary definition, which means to be totally other, to be set apart. That's the definition for God himself, his holiness. And that's the definition that Lydia is struggling with. Because that temple, the presence where God is, that's the place where humans who are not holy can find a way to be in the presence of one who is holy. You see, God's holy presence is amazing. It's full of joy but it's also full of terror. That's why Isaiah the prophet cries out uh, when he hears, or he falls on his face when he hears the angels cry out, holy, 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 the earth is full of his glory. He falls on his face like he's dead. Why? Because he can't stand the blazing holiness of God. And Lydia knows that this is true for her too. She's read these stories. She knows she's not pure and perfect and blazingly good like this God is. She has attitudes and words and actions like you and me. Attitudes, words, and actions that go against this God. She's not holy. She has sin infecting her heart, and she sins. So she needs the sacrifices in Jerusalem— To be counted for her. That's the only way she can have forgiveness. Are they? She needs the priests in Jerusalem, the people who work in the temple, she needs them to represent her before this holy God. Do they? Does what she's doing here at the river count? Question Does what you're doing here this morning count? If you want to get close to God, you have to do it on his terms. That's just Old Testament stuff, Matt, you might say. But no, this this God has not changed. He still dwells in unapproachable light. That's from the New Testament. The angels still cry out, holy, holy, holy. Don't Don't think that you can just walk up to this God. But what about come just as you are? You cannot come just as you are. If come just as you are means that you're coming by yourself. If come just as you are means that you're coming without a sacrifice, without a representative. But listen, listen. There is a sacrifice for you. There is a representative for you. And that's the good news that brings Lydia great joy. So look what happens here at the end of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house. And stay, and she prevailed upon us. How do you find real joy? By walking through the door that God has opened. First, God has opened a door that stands open for all who will believe. You can picture maybe Paul's conversation with Lydia. Lydia, what if I told you that there's a God who is so merciful and gracious? that he himself made a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. His son, real forgiveness. Lydia, what if I told you that there's a God whose love is so steadfast that he keeps all his promises, and he's appointed a perfect son who will represent his people, not just in a temple that was made with human hands, but in the actual throne room of heaven. Someone who will represent all who trust him forever. Real access. Lydia, what if I told you that he sent his son not just for the Jewish people, but for people, anyone who trusts him all around the world? Real forgiveness, real access for anyone who believes in him. But there's another way that God opens the door. Did you see it? As Lydia hears about this door that God opened through Jesus, the door that stands open for everyone who would believe, God opens the door of her heart. Look back at at the end of verse 14 there. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. This God does not only open the door to his throne room, he opens people's hearts so that they'll believe in Jesus and enter. And she does believe. She walks through the door. So because of Jesus, God's holiness is not a barrier to real joy. It actually becomes the source of real joy. Question, have you walked through that door? Do you know this joy? If you have, then you really can come just as you are this morning. You're forgiven fully, total access to a holy God, because as you're coming with all the purity and all the holiness of Jesus himself, God sees you and knows you, and real joy, whether you feel it or not, is really there for you. So how do you find real joy? By walking through the door that God has opened. How do you miss it? It's another day, maybe another Sabbath day, and our friends are going back to the river, to the place of prayer. Who will God have for them to help this time? As they walk, they hear a woman's voice shout out, and it's a voice that will dog their trails for days to come. Go ahead and look with me at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, And brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, it says, became greatly annoyed. (laughs) Now, you might think, why is this such a problem? What's, what's the big deal that the girl is yelling out this amazing truth? Not only that, maybe this could actually gain the respect of people in Philippi. You see, the word here points out that uh, towards this girl having a python spirit in the Greek. There was a famous, uh, there was a famous prophetess, an oracle who lived in a city called Delphi, further south of Philippi. And it was said that she had the spirit of Apollos in her, and that he gave her the ability to tell the future. And so this girl, this slave girl, she's like a sideshow attraction who kind of has a similar power, not like this main person in Delphi, but she's got some sort of power, some sort of connection to the spiritual realm. She's like a a traveling circus version of the real deal. But people are still coming to her. They still respect her. Now, you know why people pay money to see a circus, right? It's so they can experience the thrill of being part of something bigger than themselves. The fear that you get when you watch a trapeze diver flying through the air. That gives you a sense of risk that maybe you wouldn't take normally. People go to fortune-tellers for a similar reason. They might not know it, but they are on the hunt for something, the hunt for something bigger, a connection to the spiritual realm, the hunt for joy. But here's the problem: These people who are going to fortune-tellers, they want to know their future. They want this connection, but they're actually on a hunt to nowhere because they're chasing a counterfeit, an imposter. They think they're accessing the gods, but these people in Philippi, they're actually hearing the words of demons. And that brings us back to our question about joy. How do you miss it? How do you miss real joy? By chasing counterfeits. And that's why this is such a huge problem for Paul and his friends, because they don't have counterfeit joy. They've got the real deal. But the demon announcing their way makes it look like they're just peddling another thing. The gospel looks like just a supernatural sideshow, another product. They're a traveling circus, and this girl's the ringmaster, and this cannot go on. So look what happens in verse 18 when Paul gets annoyed. He turns and says to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And you know what happened? It came out at that very hour. She's free. She's free. The counterfeit cannot stand in the presence of the real thing. Can you guess what will happen next? Everybody watching will praise the one true God and experience real joy, right? Verse 19, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews? Jews? And they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. We saw with the demon that a counterfeit cannot stand in the presence of the real thing. And that's true. But now we get to see something equally true. People who have their hearts locked on counterfeit joys cannot stand, cannot stand the real thing. And that's the owners. When these owners make their case in court, they have their stated grievances, sure. Civil disobedience, civil unrest, Rome is going to be hurtful for Rome. But what are the, what's the real counterfeit joy that they have? Did you see it? Verse 19. Yeah, financial gain. These men are so different from Lydia. God opened Lydia's heart to believe the gospel, and that resulted in real joy, real access, total forgiveness. The owners of this girl do the opposite of believing. They reject everything about the gospel and the men who are spreading it because hearts locked onto a counterfeit joy cannot find real joy. They can't stand real joy. Verse 23, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, this is near-death stuff here. This is, this is incredibly intense. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Question, what joy right now, this morning, is nearest to your heart? What do you think? What joy is nearest to your heart this morning? What are you longing for most? What would you be... um, Most hurt by if it were to disappear from your life. If it became a total impossibility. I want to urge you today. If there's something, if that thing that's closest to your heart, if it's a thing that can actually be removed, that can be taken away, that doesn't last, don't let it stay there. Don't let it be the closest joy of your heart. It's a counterfeit. Don't stake your life on anything less than the real joy that is here for you. But listen, this is going to sound kind of counterintuitive. If your heart right now is locked on a counterfeit joy, there is huge hope for you. There's hope for people whose hearts are locked on counterfeit joys. Wait a second. Matt, I I thought you just said that people whose hearts are locked on a counterfeit joy cannot find real joy, that they can't stand real joy. Yes, I did. That's true. But what if I told you that real joy can break in to the hearts that are most tightly locked? And that leads us to our third question. How is real joy surprising? We have to keep reading to find out. So let's start in verse 24. Having received this order, he, the jailer, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So here we have our missionary friends. And who are they helping with the gospel now? Man, what must be going through their hearts What must be going through their minds? One moment, you're traveling to the place of prayer, waiting to see what God will do next. The next moment, God uses your words to release someone from a demon. The next moment, you're being surrounded by a mob. Your clothes are, you're totally naked. You're getting beaten half to death, hit and yelled at. And the very people you want to listen to you and hear the good news are seeing their leaders denounce you. And with every hit of the rod, the phrase is ringing out in people's minds, don't listen. Don't trust these guys. These guys are dangerous. I don't know what would be worse, the pain of this torture or the pain of having a mission that they cared so deeply about falling apart in their hands. And so now Paul and Silas sit contorted, on a dirty prison floor, contorted because stocks were usually not just put your feet like right in nice and straight, they were torture stocks. They had holes in weird places so that your feet would be getting, your legs would be getting pulled all over the place. And these guys probably still naked, probably with cuts all over their body, being pushed down into the dirt on the hard floor. The jailer seems like he's a pretty hardened and brutal guy. He didn't have to put them in the stocks. That wasn't required. How do you get comfortable when you can't move your ankles, you're naked on a hard floor, and your body is covered in open cuts and bruises? You don't. You can't. And how do you get control over a ministry situation that seems unfixable and out of your control? You don't. You can't. But here in this dark prison, we get the answer to our question. Why is real joy surprising? Because it breaks in. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly... There was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here! And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Real joy breaks in. That happened in multiple ways here in the prison, didn't it? Uh, First through Paul and Silas, they were in a bad situation, but they had real joy. Where counterfeit joy looks around and says, there's no hope left, real joy prays. And where counterfeit joy looks around and groans, real joy looks up and sings a song that might be their version of, oh, death. Where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? And then the earthquake, and we see this hardened jailer, probably ex military, we see him crumble because he's been pursuing a counterfeit joy. The counterfeit joy of doing a good job. He's an empire man. His fulfillment in life depends on doing his job. And he does it well, clearly. He does it to the point of cruelty. And when the earthquake shakes the very foundations of the prison and wakes him up, literally, he's on edge. But the real terror happens when he realizes that the prison doors are open. He hasn't done his job. His security is gone. His counterfeit joy has crumbled. And so is he. So he grabs his sword and pretends to end it all. Pretends? No, he prepares to end it all. I'm pretending. He's preparing. But look what happens. When counterfeit joy crumbles, real joy stands up and shouts, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Because real joy has a way better agenda than to get out of prison. Real joy has a gospel agenda. And so this jailer, now he's totally exposed. He's not the strong man who does his job because he's realized that he's weaker. He's more needy than he ever imagined. He's further from truth, further from God. He rushes in with a light and says, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? And now, where counterfeit joy has been exposed as a fraud, real joy breaks in, not just into prison, but into his heart. Verse 29. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord, just like they did to Lydia. They spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And look at this. He rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Real joy breaks in. Do you realize what this means? Five things. First, real joy is something that only God can accomplish. Only God can break into that prison with an earthquake. But in our story, the earthquake is just one way he broke in. He broke into Lydia's heart as she heard the good news. He broke into the slave girl's heart. As she and the demon heard the name of Jesus ring out, he broke into prison through Paul and Silas as all the prisoners heard them sing. And he broke into the jailer's heart as Paul and Silas told them how Jesus could save him. Real joy is having lasting access to God that comes from total forgiveness from God. And that forgiveness comes from Jesus, God's Son, who through his death and resurrection has become our perfect sacrifice, our perfect representative. Forgiveness, lasting access. But the wonder of today's story is that God does not just make this real joy possible for you. He makes it break into your life. Only he can unlock a heart that has wrapped itself around counterfeit joys. But that's what he loves to do. Second, do you know what this means? It means that real joy is something that we receive. It's not something that we achieve. How? How do you receive it? You receive it by believing. Did you notice that for both Lydia and the jailer, that belief is the key to real joy. So after God opens Lydia's heart to the gospel, Lydia says what I think is really a a better translation of this passage. Uh, You notice in in the English standard it says, if you consider me faithful, but that word can be rendered both ways as either faithful or a believer. And in the context of this passage, believer makes a lot of sense. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come to my house and stay. And of course, for the jailer, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is what saves him. So belief is the key to joy. And did you notice how once Paul takes the time to explain the gospel, that's when the family rejoices? And why do they rejoice? At the end of verse 34, he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. We don't have to achieve access to God or forgiveness from God. And believe me, I know, you cannot just tell yourself to be joyful and have it happen. But we can receive real joy whether we're feeling it or not. We can receive it And have access to it, the joy that's at the right hand of God, we can have access to it by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you received this joy? Or do you still think it's something that you need to pursue and earn? Well, I'm here to tell you that it's here for you today, right now. Will you believe in Jesus? If you will, this is possible for you. You can be part of this music. You can join in. But wait, you might say. You're saying that God makes real joy break into people's lives, but I'm a follower of Jesus, and I struggle to experience joy. How am I supposed to reconcile those two things? That is a really important question. And it can be daunting, can't it, to read passages that command joy, when you feel about as far away from joy as is possible? You know, by the way, one of the huge passages that commands joy, it's a letter to a church in guess where? Philippi. And the way joy breaks in has good news for you. If the wonder of our story today is that God makes real joy break in, why doesn't that seem true for me? Listen, this joy that we're talking about, it clearly has a lot to do with our emotions. And God has created us with emotions, and he cares about our emotions. But I'd like to suggest to you that the joy we're talking about here goes beyond any one type of emotion. You can enjoy access to God. You can enjoy forgiveness from God while experiencing pretty much any emotion on the spectrum. The enjoying that we're talking about here is like enjoying a good friend. Can you think of a time when you've enjoyed a friend when your circumstances are far from joyful? Maybe when you're sitting with them at a visitation. Or maybe you're talking to them about a relationship crisis. And you're far from joyful, but you're enjoying that friend. And you've had a friend enjoy you, too, I'm sure, where just sitting with them, they experience love from you, being present with them. In this passage, when Paul and Silas practice real joy, when they enjoy God in their prison cell, you can be sure they weren't feeling triumphant. That they weren't... Uh, just putting on a good face. These guys were near death, crying out, but they were singing. And they were holding on to a joy that they believed to be true. Even though their ministry seemed to be in shambles. And they were holding on to God's promise that he would rescue those who were suffering. They were clinging to that. It was as far as you could get from fakiness. This God is not fakey. This joy is not fake it till you make it joy. It's drawing near in prayer and worship to what you believe to be true. So that's the third thing. The third thing about real joy breaking in. It's that real joy is about enjoying a relationship. A relationship that can handle all your emotions or your lack thereof. So listen, I I really would love to talk more about any of this emotion piece with any of you because whether you are overwhelmed and anxious or having the blues struggling with moodiness feeling lost numb or purposeless listen christians faithful christians you know this they experience all of those the good news of this passage is that joy is real and it's here with all of those Thing number four, the fact that real joy breaks in means that you should expect to be surprised by the hearts that this joy can reach. Lydia was a a female, a foreigner, elite, wealthy, and a god worshiper. The slave girl was oppressed and enslaved, a Greek, a pagan, and demon-possessed. The jailer was a male, Roman, blue collar dutiful, hardened, cruel, probably secular and pagan. And Paul and his team, they may have had some ideas about the type of people that they would help after Paul's vision when the, when the person said, help me. But could they have imagined any of this, how this church in Philippi would start? So a question for you, how might your judgment of people and situations— cause you to underestimate God, the angry, very political neighbor, the bitter widow, the agnostic chemistry professor, the grocery store bag checker who rarely gets a day off and tells you that they're not a church person, the person who wants your job, the kid who is bullying your kid. The colleague from Southeast Asia who you enjoy, but a language barrier makes you think a relationship deeper is not possible. Expect to be surprised. Expect to be surprised because God loves to have real joy break in. Thing number five because real joy breaks into lives, it also opens up lives. Did you notice what Lydia did right after she believed? She was baptized along with her household so that the newfound joy is now opened up to watch. It's public. And then when her life is public and opened up, what does she do next? She opens up her home and people come and spend time with her. And then the jailer, did you notice what he did? Same thing. These people have spare bedrooms. He took them and washed their wounds. Well, he did that in the prison, probably. And then they heard them speak about the good news, and the whole family, public, baptized. We belong to Jesus. And then what does he do? He takes them up to his house. He sets food before them. Why? Because his prisoners have become his brothers. He used to care so much about doing his job but now he cares about his brothers to the point of opening up his innermost life to them. So the irony, the irony of this is that this guy was concerned about doing his duty, doing his job. And now that he has joy in him, that he's encountered this joy, he does good works. He does them in a new way. He opens up his home. So question, is your life opened up to the people in this room? Has joy broken in in a way that's opened you? Does your heart beat to obey God by loving these people, your brothers and your sisters? We'll close our time today here at the communion table. If you believe in Jesus, this is for you. By that, of course, I don't just mean that you believe that he exists. I mean that you put your life, all of it, into his hands. Him, your perfect sacrifice. Him, your forever representative in God's throne room. He's at God's right hand for you. He has made known to you the path of life. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Is this real for you? If it is, then please come and take bread and cup and bring them back to your seat and we'll take them all together. And as you come, think about the different people here in this room who've had this real joy break into their lives. Feel free to think about people as you come. Please do. Because if you're a part of this church, then God has brought this joy into your life so that you can open your life up to them. And maybe think about a different group of people too. A jailer, an elite businesswoman, maybe even a slave girl making their way to Lydia's house on a Sunday morning. The hints of it are all there in Acts 16.40, because when these guys get out of prison, where did they go first? They went to spend time with their brothers and sisters, eating the bread and drinking the cup and remembering their joy. So I'll pray you reflect for half a minute and then come. Come. Father, would you work this joy into our hearts? We know you love to do that. We don't always feel that the way that we would like to. Thank you that one day we will. All because of Jesus. Amen.